Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to dive into verses 15 to 18 in this session. Now, while you're turning there, let me kind of put you in remembrance of where we are, where we've gone. In Galatians, we have these rival teachers coming in and telling these Gentile believers, people who have been saved, to say, well, wait a minute. You need, to, you need to be circumcised and you need to come in under the law in order to be saved, meaning to perfect your salvation. Paul was having nothing to do with that. In fact, he has gotten, a, this is a furious letter that Paul has written because he tells these Galatian believers, don't you dare do it. Don't you dare go in under the law. And why is he saying that? He's saying that in part because the law itself had prophesied in Deuteronomy that Israel would rebel and end up in slavery. And to embrace the law would therefore be to return to that long prophesied slavery. Now let me read this to you. The messianic events were the means by which the God of Israel had fulfilled his promises to Abraham, the promises of a worldwide family, promises that formed the deep root of a new life already enjoyed by the Galatian Jesus followers. Now, so we have gone through, uh, this is kind of the middle of chapter 3. We've gone through Jesus being made a curse. We've gone through a distinction between uh, the Jews and Gentiles and that type of thing. What Paul does here is he returns back to God's promise and doubles down on it, his promise to Abraham. So let's go ahead and read the verses, and then we're going to dig in. You're going to find that these verses have, a, have an internal logic to them that you can follow pretty easy compared to some of Paul's other cryptic scriptures. So let's go ahead and read. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, or to his seed, is what it says in the Greek and the King James. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, or seed. Who is Christ? This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Notice that first part of verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, and that's basically what the rival teachers are teaching. It's like, okay, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ all you want, but you need to come in under the law. Why? Well, verse 18, if the inheritance comes by the law, that's basically what they were teaching. Now, let me stop here and let's talk about the inheritance for a minute, because you never hear about the inheritance in modern preaching. Modern preaching is, well, you need to get saved so you can go to heaven and you're forever with the Lord. Well, 
that's kind of like a half-truth in a way, because the inheritance, when you dive into Scripture, the inheritance is being part of God's family, and being part of God's family is being resurrected, bodily resurrected like the Lord Jesus Christ. The inheritance involves the land, and we find out in Romans that the land involves the whole world, not just Canaan, not just the land of Israel, but the whole world. And God's kingdom is coming down. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth. That is the inheritance. So you look at verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. And this is Paul saying to the rival teachers, I'm looking at you. Because that's basically what they are preaching. Now let's go up to verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. What Paul is doing here is he's setting up the promise made to Abraham. He said, even with man-made covenants, once it's ratified, nobody adds to it, nobody annuls it. It is the covenant. It's in place. It's in stone. Verse 16 Now the promises were made or spoken to Abraham and his offspring, or to Abraham and his seed. It does not say into offsprings or to seeds as in many, but referring to one and to your offspring or seed who is Christ. Now let's break this down a little bit. This verse gives theologians some hiccups because actually the word seed can be plural. You know, Abraham and his seed can mean all of Abraham's descendants. And so what Paul does here is he takes a word, you know, uh, this is where it's, um, he takes that word seed, or you could say offspring, and he cuts it down to a single descendant. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, who is Christ. Now, this is really interesting because, you know, you hear about the promises made to Abraham, but what Paul does is that he brings in, he doesn't bring in Jesus per se, he brings in Christ. And why does he say Christ? Because Christ is a vocation. Christ is means Messiah. And the only country, the only nation that had Messiah was Israel. You might think of it as Israel's superhero. The thing about Christ is, Christ is incorporative. Now, you've heard me talk about Romans 6 in the past. Well, let me bring it forward here. Because when you go to Romans 6, you see that believers have been, what, crucified with Christ. It doesn't say crucified with Jesus. It says crucified with Christ. I want to get over the fact of Israel's Messiah. Crucified with Christ. Buried with Christ. And raised with Christ. It's incorporative. So, uh, what you see here in verse 16 is something... Uh, that I will read to you from Hebrews, Hebrews 6. Let me read these scriptures to you about God's promise to Abraham. 
This is uh, Hebrews 6, 13 to 18. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, uh, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, those are believers, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, what I want you to notice from those verses is that when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, surely I will bless you and multiply you. You take that over to Galatians 3, and the promise is made to Abraham and to Abraham's seed, who is Christ. So God speaks to Christ and says, surely I will bless you and multiply you, and we are that multiplication. Believers are that multiplication because in other scriptures, believers are actually called Christ. I think that's in 2 Corinthians, and I think it's also in 1 Corinthians. Now, verse 17, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. You know, this is Paul kind of like looking at the rival teacher saying, I'm looking at you. The law that came 430 years afterward does not annul the covenant, does not annul the promise. That's the point that he's making. Because what? Because God made a promise to Abraham and Abraham's seed, and what? The messianic events, what, we, what you call the messianic events, the death, burial, resurrection, are the fulfillment of that promise. Surely I will bless you and I will multiply you. Christ was multiplied on the day of the resurrection with the believers. Or actually, you go over to John 20. Because he blew into them and they became born again. They received the Spirit of Christ. Believers received the Spirit of Christ. Surely I will multiply you. That is the fulfillment of one aspect of the promise. You go back up. Uh, in Galatians, and what did we find out? That the Spirit is actually the down payment for the inheritance. In verse 18, the inheritance is what? The kingdom, bodily resurrection, and the land, meaning the world. Amen. So in verse 17, Paul's looking at these rival teachers saying, hey, the law that you're telling these Galatian believers come under, it does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. And verse 18 is the explanation. Remember, it starts with the word for. When Paul uses for, it's usually to explain. He says, I'm going to explain. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. Rival teachers, you're cutting out the Abrahamic promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Amen. So we get to the end of verse 18, 
and actually, you know, if this imaginary room that we're in with the Galatian believers and the rival teachers and Paul, Paul's looking over at the rival teachers and the Galatian believers, and they're, both groups are scratching their heads. So wait a minute. If the inheritance comes by the law, if, if the, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise, then what's the purpose of the law? And when you go to Galatians 3.19, that's exactly what Paul asks rhetorically. Why then the law? Why then the law? You know, if you have a promise to Abraham and the law comes so much, so many hundred years later, and it doesn't affect that promise, then why in the world do you have the law? And that's, that is a question that modern preaching does not answer. Amen. Now think about what we have seen about the law so far. Paul says to these Galatian believers, you come in under the law, you're under a curse. We see that Israel was under the law, and what? Deuteronomy, the law itself, prophesied that it was going to rebel and it was going to be taken out into exile. So why in the world do you even have this law? Paul gets into it in the next paragraph. But let me, let me pique your curiosity a little bit. He explains in verse 22 that law brings the knowledge of sin, and that sin brings a curse under the law. We've already gone over that in verses 10 through 13. And as a result, all people are constrained by the dispensation of the law. That is Galatians 3.23. And the promise is suspended. So in the next session, we're going to get a good dose of why then the law. Because current preaching kind of treats the law as something that, um, well, it's kind of like, uh, modern preaching is kind of like this. The law didn't work out all that well, and so God sent Christ. Kind of like a, a plan A and plan B. But we can see just where we've gone with the book of Galatians that the law, what, has brought about a curse. Christ became a curse for us. That was pursuant to the law. The law prophesied that Israel would be exiled. So it's a really good question that both rival teachers who have been preaching that the inheritance comes by the law, and Paul says, no, no, no. No, it's by promise. And then you have the Galatian believers who say, yeah, promise. You know, the law doesn't do anything to that promise. And then they sit back and they're like, well, why? Why then the law? So we're going to hit that in the next session. Amen. Let me go ahead and close out in Romans 16 with a benediction. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God 
be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.